Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 121 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and we've got a little bonus episode for you guys this week. That's right, three episodes all in one week, all about that content, content, content. Uh, I'm by myself. Uh, if you listen to episode 120, which we're, where we, wow, Adam, say your words right. If you listen to episode 120, where Jill and I, Jill and me, where we discuss our favorite books of June coming out, uh, you'll know that we are both about to be traveling all over the place. So I'm in the office by myself, which is becoming far too usual for us, I suppose, uh, one of us being here and the other one not. But in the very near future, I will be also not here, about to get on a plane. So wanted to make sure I got this in for you guys. The reason that this is a bonus episode, um, twofold. One, because we love you guys so much and we want to give you more episodes to listen to, which is entirely true. Our listeners are amazing and all of our interaction with you guys has been the bee's knees. The other reason is that we have a ne- another Big Library Read program coming out in June and some of the other folks on the marketing team that I work for here at Overdrive was like, hey Adam, we need that podcast. So I happily obliged. So like mostly because our listeners are awesome, but also mostly because I was told that I needed to get this out. Uh, but you guys are in for an absolute treat. Uh, Jill and I got to chat with Marie Benedict again. Her book, The Other Einstein, was selected as the next big library read title. Uh, it's going to kick off on June 12th and go through June 26th. If you're not familiar with the big library read, let's do some housekeeping. Uh, Big Library Read is the world's first global ebook club, and it's provided for free through your public library and a partnership with us here at Overdrive. So the way this works is from June 12th through June 26th, you can go to your library's Overdrive website and borrow The Other Einstein uh, without any wait lists or holds, um, and it'll be right at the top of the page. You'll see it at all of our participating libraries, which is going to be somewhere north of 20,000 of them, so you should be in luck, I would imagine. Uh, The Other Einstein is the story of Albert Einstein's first wife, who a lot of people think helped him with some of the incredible discoveries he did uh, in regards to the theory of relativity and all sorts of stuff. Um, His first wife doesn't get any credit for any of that because she was a female in the early 1900s, and unfortunately that's kind of how things went, which is not great. Um, but we got a, a wonderful experience because Marie was in our offices here in Cleveland. Uh, she spent the morning with us creating videos and sitting down for this podcast and answering questions and a whole bunch of stuff. So not only will you hear this in-person interview, but uh, if you go to biglibrary.com, you'll also see a video of uh, Marie with the two of us doing some chatting and if you follow Overdrive Libs on Twitter and and on Instagram and all over the place, which I'm guessing you probably do if you also follow us on Twitter, uh, you'll see a whole bunch of different stuff that she she did with us. So much content. All about content, content, content. Ugh, it's the second time I said that today, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, Some other details about the Big Library Read. Man, doing this by yourself is hard. Still. Um, If you go to biglibrary.com, you will find a discussion board where you can share your thoughts about the book. Uh, You will also find there, if you're a librarian or a school librarian, you'll find promotional materials and all sorts of good stuff 
um, that you can use to promote, as well as recommended reads. So read-alike books that if you like The Other Einstein, which you will because it's wonderful, uh, there'll be some other books that you can take a look at. So that is just about everything about the Big Library Read. Uh, Marie is such a fun person. Uh, she was on the podcast once before, and we talk about this book. So because of that, we have a little bit of fun on this episode. It was great to meet her in person. Uh, she lives just up the road in Pittsburgh. So a pretty quick jaunt over to Cleveland, and she was going to be here anyway. So brought her into the office and had some adventures. Uh, we are now besties, all three of us. And You'll hear it comes through pretty clearly in the episode that uh, we are not faking all of the fun that the three of us are having. It's a pleasure to get to chat with her again. So I hope you guys check out biglibrary.com. I hope you read The Other Einstein with the tens of thousands of people who will uh, once the Big Library kicks off. I hope that you go to biglibrary.com and join our discussion because actually Marie is going to be joining the discussion as well. So not only can you interact with other readers of the book, but you guys have an opportunity to do what Jill and I get to do all the time and, and ask questions to the author and she'll actually get back to you. So I think you guys, as always, are going to very much enjoy this interview. It was so much fun having her in the office. I wish that we got to do that more often where people actually came and sat down with us in person because there's, while I love interviewing people over the phone, there's something really special about seeing them in person and being able to interact with their you know, nonverbal communication and it, it's just it's a more engaging conversation I think personally but okay enough chitter chatter I hope you guys thoroughly enjoy this big library reads special episode of the professional book nerds podcast <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Adam and Jill again from Team Overdrive, and today we have a very special guest, not only with us, but actually with us in person. In person. Uh, so Marie Benedict was on our podcast, I think it was actually in the fall, because I remember it was like we, were, we were talking about uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I have, yeah, I, have a, I have a good memory about fall. Anyway, you do. the reason you are here is your book, The Other Einstein, was selected as our latest Big Library Read program. And I'm just going to interrupt you, even though I know that's super rude. Thank you! <laughs> I was so excited when I found out, but anyway, I digress. So, no, it's okay. So, interrupt. Normally, we have a very specific list of questions we always want to hit, but because we've already chatted about your book, we're going to have some fun. But before we do that, for people who may maybe didn't tune in the last time, can you tell them a little bit about The Other Einstein? Absolutely. Okay, so The Other Einstein is the story of Maleva Marek, Marish. Some people have been correcting me as I travel around. I purposely didn't say the name myself because I, I saw always that. mess it up. I saw that. And if you've been watching Nat Geo's Genius, which is all about Einstein, I've heard many different pronunciations of words that I've written, but anyway, it's the story of Maleva Marish, who was Albert Einstein's first wife and a physicist herself. And it really explores not only the contributions she may or may not have made to his most important work, <clears throat> relativity, um, it also um, talks about um, her own life, her own, which was a very unique really inspiring life, the sort of climb that she made from this real backwater um, in Serbia that she lived in to become one of the very first female physics students um, in Europe. 
So she's a it's a wonderful. I think not just because I wrote it, but her story is an inspiring <laughs> story. And where did you first hear about her story? So Adam's heard this before. I, I don't. Probably I have love two. it. I love this story. Um, okay, so I have two boys, not so little anymore, although they're little. My eyes. Um, and we were reading um, this wonderful Scholastic series, which um, is called "Who Was What Was," oh, and they pick. Do you like those? those okay. So they're either they either take a, an important historical figure or a period of time, and it was who was Albert Einstein, and we were reading it for a book report he had to do, and there were like a few sentences. Oh, and Einstein was at university, and there he met his first wife, who was also a physics student herself. Maybe one or two other sentences, and that was it. And I just, you know, I have this now, like, highly developed antenna for hidden historical stories, and it just started going crazy. I was like, who is this woman, right? Who is this woman that I had never heard of, Mm -hmm. um, who was a physicist who was married to Albert Einstein? You know, what are the the odds that she was married to him? did nothing with him so that's kind of how it started and then I went down like 7,000 rabbit holes of research I have to say I love the idea that you got this from a children's book because it's such a a, you know you people don't normally think about this but there are those these books um Brad Meltzer has written a bunch of them too like I am yes I am George Washington I am Rosa Parks he recently just did one that I am Jim Henson, which I did. Did he really? Yes. yes. I'm oh, a huge fan of the Muppets, so I was very on point with that. Okay. But I love, you know, you can take these books and you can read them to your kids, and there's so much good information in there that kind of you can lead yourself down a rabbit hole. Absolutely. I mean, I, you, I have learned so much, not just from my children in various ways, <laughs> but from the books that they read. Right. And, um, you know, when you explore, you end up exploring areas that you didn't think were interesting to you as a child, mm-hmm. you know, like science, you know, like so many girls, I wasn't really encouraged in the sciences, mm-hmm. but my boys are encouraged in the science. And so as I read books with them and to them, I discovered that like science is a lot more interesting than I thought. And <laughs> I actually get it, you know? So it really, if you keep your eyes open, you really, in your ears, um, you really, obviously your ears, overdrive, um, <clears throat> the, um, you can, you can really absorb so much interesting information. So I know there is a ton in the book, but what was the most fascinating thing you discovered about Maleva? Um, I think, I don't know if I did that, say there's so many things about her. I really felt like I got to know her mm-hmm. and I don't know. I felt, feel like I'm, I have to be her champion, but I would say probably two things. I think, you know, I got to know her her voice primarily through the letters that mm-hmm. she wrote to Einstein and to her best friend that she met during her university years, Helen Koffler. And I would say that the things I, the two things I learned most about her is, is that even though she had this amazing drive mm-hmm. to succeed against all odds, I mean, in her culture, it was illegal for girls to go to high school, right. not just not encouraged. It was like affirmatively illegal to go to high school. And, but to, Behind all that, she had this amazing drive and belief in herself, and yet she had so many emotional insecurities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that sort of dichotomy is a really interesting... Um, and then the other thing, of course, is Lizerl. You know, I, I don't know how many people knew that um, Albert Einstein had an illegitimate daughter. I did. I read a biography about her a couple years ago. In Search of Lizerl? Yes. You read In Search of Lizerl? No way. I did. I came across... I you, are you serious? Because no one that I have met, and how many thousands of people I've talked to, nobody has ever heard of that book. I, um, I worked at a science library um, in graduate school. We were a research um, for uh, alternative 
fuel and energy science research and cool. we had this randomly in our collection and I came across it while uh, we were we had to consolidate our library and that meant weeding and taking some books and I came across it and I asked my manager I was like if we're gonna get rid of this can I just like take it <laughs> yeah hello <laughs> Is it was it not fascinating? It was fascinating because I had I had no idea. Nobody has no idea. any idea. Despite the fact that this book has been written and the you know, these letters came out in the nineteen eighties mm-hmm. which talked about their their religion, which was really the first time anyone had ever heard of it. Right. There's like, like three references to her. Um, that book mm-hmm. is just I mean the the fact that not only did Albert Einstein have this illegitimate child, the fact that no one actually knows what happened to her. I know. That's which is like, and there's a whole book dedicated to it, and there's no resolution. I know. Right? Am I right? Like, it's just mind, like, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. I wish this like, was a video podcast like, <laughs> so bad. You two are so excited. And I, just, I, love it. Like, I mean, seriously, I know, like, has anybody ever, have you ever? Okay. Nobody has ever yeah. mentioned that book to me. As something that I've read. Ditto. Thank you. And I have it like in my office notes because I invite people to read that book. It's so fascinating. I I just watched a friendship be formed (laughs) immediately. You guys. Oh, that was meant to be. That was a shared moment. See, and you thought you and I were friends. I didn't feel like We have Hamilton. We'll never do that. We do have Hamilton. Um, But yeah, Lazurl. Lazurl to answer your question. Obviously. Yes. So actually, you guys kind of going on that deep dive. Were we talking Maybe. in like shorthand? No, over it was there perfect. No it was wonderful. I don't know every bit of it. What I was going to say is that really plays a well with the question I wanted to bring up is, in order to find out all of this, in, this incredible story, you had to do a lot of research. Yeah, There's things like you said. So many people have an idea about Albert Einstein and theory of relativity and all that good stuff, but right. there's so much more to the story and. In well, I don't even call it a previous life, but in addition to being a writer, you are also it's a previous life. It's, I hope. it's okay. It's a pre- <laughs> sorry. So Sorry, you, to have as you a writer. Have, yeah, so you have a background in law. I do. How much? Sorry, <laughs> sounds so excited I do. About it. <laughs> How much of the the research skill that you have had as a lawyer yeah. continue to have <laughs> from your background in law? How much of that played into what I imagine was? A lot of persistence that you had to have finding all these little nuggets about great question I mean I would definitely say um, it played in very strongly Mm -hmm. I mean the kind of research you do as a lawyer is very different than the kind of research I do now but what is the same and what transcends both is that absolute dogged determinist to get to the the very last piece of research because mm-hmm. you need it in the law you never want to get into a courtroom and have somebody else have found a dispositive case that you did not uncover i mean you are just not gonna yeah. let that happen i was just thinking the same thing <laughs> yeah weren't you just thinking that <laughs> of course. yeah of course so that's how i am about historical research i'm like i don't want anybody else to be like oh yeah, you think that Lazurl existed? Well, what about, and then bring up some crazy letter that I've never seen, right? right? I don't want that feeling to ever happen. I don't claim to, I don't write nonfiction for a reason. I mean, I like to be able to step away from the facts. Right. But, like, I look at the, the historical research as, like, um, architecture around which I build the story. And I want the architecture to be really solid mm-hmm. and strong so that nobody can kind of undercut that piece of it because the fiction is going to open itself up to yeah. enough conjecture. Well, at a certain point, you have to... I mean, I would feel that doing research on something like this, I would feel like I'd be crippled because of that whole, like, what if there's another yeah. letter I haven't read? Right. So, like, how do you determine... When to stop. When to stop doing the research and actually start writing. It is such a problem. It is, I mean, really, and this is true for a lot of people who write historical research, 
is like how many rabbit holes can you go down? You could spend a whole day, like I just finished, um, I have another book coming out in January called Carnegie's Made. And I oh, probably- we're talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because that's all about libraries. Yes. Right, that's all about libraries. Um, that I went down, I, you could spend like two days on the rabbit hole of what a lady's maid in the 1850s would wear. Right. Right? I mean, so you, at a certain point, you gotta be yeah. like, it's enough, you know, but I am pretty crazy about the stuff that's super important. Like, in search, thank God that In Search of Lazaro book was written. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have had to write that no, book just yeah, to write that other book. Yes, because right? yeah, the the going off like a total tangent, but the Sorry. information related to her is very lacking. So if somebody hadn't done it for you, I would be in such you would trouble. Be, you would be in trouble because you have I no mean, idea where I to mean, find it. I'm indebted to that journalist, <laughs> honest to God, because she. I mean, she went. Serbia. She went everywhere yeah. trying to find out what happened to Lazaro. So I didn't have to, right? I didn't <laughs> no, have yeah. to go do that and have that sense of like, is it enough? Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it is a problem. I would say the one thing that in um, the other Einstein was helpful was that there's actually not a ton of stuff about Maleva. Yeah. It's, it's a benefit and it's a detriment. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if I were, I would never want to write a book like this about Einstein specifically, right. but this book is not Einstein's story. It's Maleva's story. So, you know, one of the things that was most disheartening about it is like how much stuff there's written about him. Yeah. And so little about her. But it also made the research easier mm-hmm. because there was a finite amount that I could. And there's a limited amount of um, letters that we have about her. I won't harp on law anymore. That after is quite this, all but right. I promise, I love well, I'm just my curious ears. what type of law did you work in? And then we will get away from it because you know that it is like okay. super excited about it. <laughs> well, I just love what I do now yeah. so much. That's um, okay. Yeah, that's a good thing. I was a commercial litigator in New York City for over a decade. So I worked for um, two of the world's biggest law firms, and then I went in-house and ran the commercial litigation for a large Fortune 500 um, company. And what I oversaw was law, or, or worked on was enormous um, business-based litigation disputes. So, I mean, the, the amount of work and research that went into right. that is... Um, it's just mind-boggling when you, you know, when I go back and look at the hours that I worked and the kind of work that I did. Yeah. But I get to kind of apply that work ethic to something that I absolutely love, yeah. which is history. Yes. And uncovering these stories. And, you know, so I never look at the years I spent practicing as um, lost years. I mean, they were hugely beneficial for me as a person and the skill set I developed. I mean speaking to groups and advocating for a position which is kind of what I do now yeah Yeah. you know I advocate for my my main character story Mm -hmm. and so those are all hugely helpful in who I am today so do you think I think this is sort of like not a one case where we find out that the male of a relationship maybe got a little bit more credit you know what I mean you don't have to walk on eggshells because I'm here you know how I feel you know how I feel feel about he's very open-minded he is I'm just trying to phrase it like in a polite way because obviously Einstein is Einstein and he did a lot of the work totally having assistance behind him from his wife or whomever Uh do you think as the years go on we'll find more cases of that I mean I think it's happening absolutely there's a whole thing about writers and finding out male like the men writers had sort of had their wives type everything. Oh, I saw that. I was I, I did a post on it, I think. It's that, that study that somebody did about how frequently in the acknowledgement section of a male written book they said, and thank you to my wife for typing. typing. It didn't even write didn't even write her name. Right. It was like just my wife. Not even Mary Sue or right. Evelyn or no. She's just my and wife. And I and I got when I was in college I, I read a lot of T. S. Eliot and 
his wife had had some influence on like the wasteland and stuff like that. Ooh. So I think, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just sort of like an open-ended discussion question. Just the idea of... Mm-hmm. Well, I have not done a scientific study, but what I can tell you is that every time I talk, I mean, whether it's to a group of 25 or a group of 400, I cannot tell you how many people come up to me with stories like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's their own individual story, tons of women who are in the sciences come up to me and talk to me about, thank you for writing this because X, Y, and Z happened to me. And I was working on this and nobody would give me a seat at the table. Nobody would credit me um, with my work. And then, of course, there's the famous stories, which I know about and people often Mm -hmm. reference the Watson and Crick story in which Rosalind Franklin um, was one of the major discoverers of DNA. And they had access to, without her permission, her research and they utilized it in their Nobel Prize winning finding. So these stories are everywhere. And it's not any individual man's fault. It's just a societal perception about the the women's role. And that's why I think what I do is so important because unless you look, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz. Look look behind the curtain Mm -hmm. and see what's really happening here to to find out where credit really is due. I feel like you're going at some point, you know, now that you've started writing stories like this, Mm And you have the ability to talk to so many people. I feel like you've, like you said, kind of opened up Pandora's box where you mm-hmm. can sort of cherry pick. And I feel like you're going to get to a point where, you know, maybe seven or eight books on the line are like, maybe I just write about like 25 <laughs> different women all in one book kind I, of situation. I mean, you're right. It's like right now I'm, um, you know, Carnegie's Mint comes in January and I'm working on another one right now. And I'm putting together a list for my publisher of other ones that I might potentially mm-hmm. want to write. And it's like, where do I begin? Yeah. Where oh, as soon do as we I stop recording, we're going to ask you start. about this. <laughs> and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes. Always, yeah. yeah. I know I there's some stuff where to. I was not allowed to let other people hear, but perks of the job, I think we get to hear a little about that. <laughs> I think so. Um, okay, so in regards to the other Einstein, uh, there's, I've had a lot of people ask me, because I was fortunate enough to talk with you once before and read the book, and a lot of people have asked me, so which parts of the story are real and which parts did you have to insert? So... Could you just maybe kind of explain a little bit about what your research provided and then where you had to fill in the gaps as to why this is historical fiction as opposed to nonfiction? Right. And just to preface that, that's why I like to write. Because I think uh, fiction. (laughs) Because I think, like I said, that architecture is there. And, you know, as a lawyer, one thing you do primarily is logic. I mean, you are making logical leaps all the time. And I think sometimes once you set out that architecture, you can make those logical mm-hmm. leaps. And even though it's fiction, it's pretty grounded mm-hmm. in the research and the facts. And um, But you couldn't do it if you were writing nonfiction, right? right? So I think that the bit, one of the biggest examples of where I had to make a logical leap was what happened to Lazurl. Because the I think the loss of Lazurl, whether she died or they gave her up for adoption, we don't really know. I think the loss of Lazurl was the pivotal, defining moment in Maleva Marish's life. Mm-hmm. I think certainly her um, failure of exams was huge, but I think Lazurl defined her as a person. And I mean, I made the logical leap that Lazurl died because getting to know, even though we don't know, there's a whole right. book written mm-hmm. about how right. we don't actually know right. what happened to Lazurl. Um, I made the logical leap that she died because I felt had gotten, having gotten to know Maleva the way I did or the way I do and knowing how important being a mother is and was to her, I don't think that had Lazurl recovered 
um, from scarlet fever. Having lost her, almost losing her physically, and then having to give her up the first time when she went to Zurich to be with Einstein and he wouldn't let her bring Lazaro, I don't think she would have left her child behind again. Right. I don't think she would have. So that's a really good example of a logical leap that I made mm-hmm. that wasn't based necessarily on the facts because we don't actually know what right. happened to her, but it's based on my intuitive sense of my character of who she was and right. who I believed her to be. So that that's a big one. Mm-hmm. That's a really big one. But I can give you other examples like like that if you like. It, if you it, it's, sure. your, it's your show if you <laughs> Oh like. yeah. Um I think another that that was the most important one. I think um her exam failure mm-hmm. is another one that again that's a big pivotal life moment for her. Um we don't know why she failed her exams um that summer um that she was pregnant. I, I do know um, from my own research, my sister is a midwife, and we've talked a lot about the, the physical ailment that we think Maleva suffered from. She was very sick during her pregnancies. She had to give, and I don't talk about this as much as I could have in the book, but the way she did her exams was she stood before a board of examiners, including Professor Weber, who was her primary instructor, who hated Einstein, and at that point realized that she was in a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So she was standing before him and a whole row of bearded men Mm -hmm. and for hours doing her oral exam. And I I just, you know, she was so bright Mm -hmm. and she worked so hard. I can't imagine that she would have failed that exam, but for physical illness or emotional distress. And the other thing I didn't touch on, which I think is it could have been another factor, is the predisposition against women you know she's up there Absolutely. in front of all these men it's not an objective exam it's a subjective exam mm-hmm. so you know but again I don't actually know why she failed and a lot of physicists who want to argue for the fact that Maleva did nothing in Einstein's 1905 work point to that they point to her exam failure and say well you know she, she didn't even pass her exam she couldn't have been right. that smart physicist and, you know, so when I think about all of that, I think, well, there's, a, there's definitely a bunch of factors there. And I don't think any one of them had to do with her lack of intelligence or yeah. hard work. I don't. So those are two really big pivotal moments from yeah. Maleva that I had to make some mm-hmm. suppositions as to what happened. Yeah. That's so frustrating. I'm just like sitting here listening to I know. Like, really right? good systems. Like, uh, guys, guys are the smash. worst. Guys are the worst, guys aren't are they, the worst. Adam? Yeah. I, I see. I can say that without anyone sending us a hateful tweet or anything like that because I'm a guy saying it. So. Right. I'm not allowed to know. Cutting everybody off right at the knees. I, I think um, men today are much more enlightened for the most part. Um, but I think it's important to see that for what it is absolutely historically so when we see it again we can recognize it so we talked about how this is our big library read i am so excited <laughs> oh my god means lots and lots of people are going to be reading your so books you don't even know how excited i am <laughs> i mean i did like a dance around the house you're, ra- you are radiating right now i will say it's thank you i know i feel like that's, that's where like question of how do you feel about no if they could only see me they would know <laughs> no, i'm so so excited you know i mean since I start, since I took this, the task of writing this story on, I have felt such a responsibility towards Maleva to tell her story, and you know, not only of course am I just excited that someone's people are going to read my book, but I'm so excited that people are going to get to read her right. story. Right. Right. You know, I mean, how amazing that this woman who was just oh, 
obscured for so many decades is now going to be read by so many people thanks to you guys. And I'm I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm happy for Maleva. Mm-hmm. I really am. I mean, how right. she deserves it. She does. And I think it's sort of interesting because it is historical fiction. And yeah. it's very timely because the idea of girls going into STEM programs and women in the sciences is such a big topic now. Huge. So I think having the, her story out there. Mm-hmm. Is, I agree with you. Because, I, I mean, I think it would be different. I think it would still be as effective if it was pure fiction, but knowing that she actually lived and right. like this, this, happened. Was, this happened has a greater impact. I hope so. I hope so. And I also feel like it's an homage to all the women who have made significant contributions right. and made significant climbs to get to these different positions in, in, in the STEM fields and have been unacknowledged or have just walked away due to sheer frustration. And that's a story I hear today right. all the time. I used to be a physicist. I used to be a chemist. I used to be, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think when you see it in this historical context and you feel like, like you want to rail against the system, mm-hmm. well, still going still on yeah. so you know I want people to see that and then channel that in, in positive ways but also to see that even then that climb was possible right it was so normally we ask people and then this kind of led in last time when you and I were chatting about the importance of libraries and what you think about libraries but you have a way bigger you know kind of let's say a, a bigger pool of, of information and knowledge in regards to libraries because as you mentioned your next book coming out is yeah. all about libraries so last time we talked you were just kind of working on it yeah it wasn't but done can you give us some more information Absolutely. about what your next book is about since it's very pertinent it is very pertinent to libraries um which are so um not just near and dear to my personal heart but to my extended family's history really so my next book that's coming out in january is called carnegie's made um, and you guys know I'm from Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. which is home of Andrew Carnegie, which is spelled, it's pronounced Carnegie, not C- Carnegie. Car- Some people pronounce it like that. That's not the, pr- Carnegie. See, you know, but if you go yeah. to New York, oh, like, they all pronounce it Carnegie. Oh, yeah. They pronounce it Oh, like Carnegie Hall. Yeah, they don't pronounce it right. We actually, and they always fight with me about Carnegie. it. Um, now I'm like, how do I pronounce Carnegie? Carnegie. Carnegie. Well, no, Carnegie. No, no, I understand that now, but I'm like, how do I know, I now I can't it? pronounce it wrong. <laughs> anyway. It's Carnegie. Carnegie. Okay. Okay. We actually have a... Carnegie. Because of our, no one else will get to see this, but you will in a little bit. We have a conference room here. How's well, that exciting? We oh, have a, okay. But we have a conference room named Carnegie. Are you so, serious? We do. Well, we're a library company. Well, that's so true. Yeah. Okay, so my book, <laughs> the next one, is all about, um, it's all about, let me back up a second. In the 1850s, Andrew Carnegie wrote a manifesto to himself <laughs> in which he, he committed to only earn money going forward for the betterment of mankind. And he would give all of his money away. Now, this was unprecedented at the time. People right. didn't give away their fortunes like you are starting to see the Gates and other people today. Um, he tucked that little manifesto in his jacket pocket and he kept it with him for the rest of his life. And it wasn't really discovered until his deathbed. Um, and this was when he was a relatively young man. He was in his 30s and he was on the ascent, but he hadn't become the richest man in the world yet. Mm-hmm. And historians have always wondered what happened to him that made him make this incredibly unusual leap and they have speculated that there was a relationship in his life um, that had made him really make this this huge transformation to become the world's first philanthropist and so my story which of course like back of a second is largely founded on libraries mm-hmm. and I'll get to that one second 
So in my story, I, um, my family grew up in Pittsburgh. My family, a lot of them were domestics in houses like the Carnegie's. Mm -hmm. They were Irish immigrants. And they came to America very bright, but totally uneducated. And they, this was in later, they utilized those Carnegie's, those Carnegie's, those libraries <laughs> that he founded to educate themselves and better themselves. Oh. So I was always intrigued by this whole like amalgam of facts. And so what I did was I took basically historical innuendo and the backgrounds of a lot of Irish immigrant women, mm -hmm. bright Irish immigrant women, and I inserted their story into Andrew Carnegie's story. Mm -hmm. And I put this relationship between Andrew Carnegie and his mother's lady's maid as the um, inspiration behind his decision to give away his money and become the founder of modern libraries. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I mean, we're in, my family is indebted to the, the library systems. You know, without them, and including the very first one in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. the Carnegie mm -hmm. Library, which is where all my ancestors went, they would not have become the college-educated doctors, lawyers, mm -hmm. um, class of people that they are today. So it, it, to me, it's examining how this man became mm -hmm. this, but yeah. it's also an homage to all these immigrants who came in to our country and inspired the change mm -hmm. that we have around us today, but whose stories are totally unsung. Yeah. You know, you never hear their yeah. stories. I mean, you're preaching literally to the choir. We're sitting in our, our company. Jill and I have, have professions here at Overdrive because libraries exist. I mean, you are a librarian, so mm -hmm. if Overdrive didn't exist, you would still be employed. I would just be wandering, I would just <laughs> be wandering the, the streets, streets somewhere. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I feel like you'd be homeless. But no, we, I mean, obviously, being a library company, there's. we tried to do the math a few weeks ago. There's like 40 librarians who work here it's wow it's a lot. yeah uh, so i mean that's awesome. we love libraries we love libraries i and love can't. libraries um so you said january do you, do, do you know do you have a day yet i don't you know, know? I my publisher probably knows i should know that yeah, i should not okay. i'll look okay. it up it's january but i mean it's really because well just to back up one second andrew carnegie became who he is he credits to this um subscription library that system that existed in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. Colonel Anderson's library you know at the time of um, in the 1850s there were libraries but they were pay only they were right. subscription libraries and as a result only people who were already well off could mm -hmm. actually use libraries and the people who really needed them like my ancestors had no access to them right um, and he was fortunate that in his neighborhood Colonel Anderson allowed the working men of course it was men but that's another story men of Pittsburgh <laughs> to access his library on Saturdays and he credits his own ascent mm -hmm. to that library and in my book I explain how he wanted to repay that debt yeah. to really the oh, entire okay. class of immigrants that was coming in and how my own family benefited directly from that decision so and some of those libraries still I mean yeah I'm on the board committee I'm on one yeah. of the board committees for the Carnegie libraries of Pittsburgh yeah and his original library is there I've been through all of his papers. So jealous of that. I know. It's super cool. That's amazing. It's really cool. I mean, you know, where I am and given what I do, I've had access to these wonderful documents talking about the formation of libraries and their importance in lives. And a lot of his original ones are still there and across, yeah, across the, the world. I feel like we have... You might have one here. I think we I have should one know that. here. We do. I think we do. Yeah. But they I'm really sure spurred is, on but... others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Road trip. Road trip. <laughs> She's close, I'm telling you. That's true. I'm serious, that's two hours. Um, all right, this is apropos of nothing, but last time you and I spoke, we talked about the fact that you have this 
awesome little tip you have for writers where you associate certain types of music to what you're writing. Right. So for a while we're talking about Hamilton and Which just I because still love. Well, and it's coming to Cleveland. We'll talk about that once we stop recording. <gasps> Are you recording. serious? Oh yeah. We'll talk about that once we stop recording. But oh my God. Um, so I mentioned to you that I listen to Nightmare Before Christmas like yes. the entire year when I'm writing. And you mentioned that you were using Mumford and Sons for Carnegie's Mage. Carnegie's Mage. Right. So I know That's you probably choice. can't tell us what you're working on right now, but can you tell us what type of music you're listening to? <laughs> well, it's it's funny you should say that because I started one book Is it or and I'm working nice on another book at the same time. But for one of the books, I, I usually don't go period. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I usually don't go to period music for period books. I mean, Mumford and Sons plus yeah. Andrew, you know, Andrew Carnegie does not, they do not equate to each other, <laughs> but they work for some reason. Um, actually, I've been listening to ragtime music, Ooh. which is really odd. Um, I'm but, super excited just yeah. because I love that time period. Do you really? I'm like, yeah, who doesn't love ragtime? Yeah. Okay. So that for one of the books. You've got kindred spirits in this room. <laughs> Love you too. Can I just safe, bottle you and just safe, like bring you you're home in a safe me? place here. That's rock. So I'm doing a little, a little a Irving Berlin, time. a little ragtime uh-huh. for the one. For the other one, it's to be t- to be determined. Okay. I, I'm, okay. You know, sometimes I fish around mm-hmm. for my, my music. That's fair. And then once I get it, I'm with it. So I honestly, it was all I could do not to just start with that question because I feel like I could have a whole conversation <laughs> oh. about. I like I feel like we could talk for hours about like okay, and then what do you think someone would have listened to when they wrote this book? And Don't just, you? Th- that would make a great like blogger. Yeah. Are you guys already in the works of that one? No, we are not. Because I think that would be a that really would be interesting. interesting one mm-hmm. to do. And I think people would love it. Because I think, you know, even to listen to that music as you're reading that person's book would yeah. be really interesting to see how people react to if it. If you want us to cut this last part out so you can keep <laughs> this for your own podcast. No way, man. <laughs> I think you guys should do that. That would be a really interesting all right. If someone can find Jill and I a few more hours in the day to do a second do you guys podcast. Have, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah you guys have so much time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, well, those are all the questions I had, Jill. Yeah, no, I'm good. No those more questions? questions? How could sorry. that be? I know. I'm oh. sorry. Well, listen, we're not, you're in our office for the morning. We're going to have some fun I'm here. I'm so excited. So, right. I would just like to say thank you to you guys, and thank you to Overdrive for picking the other Einstein for the big Again. library. Well, for the, Overdrive you know. users. That for your yeah. users. <laughs> this is a shout-out to the users yeah. and, and to Overdrive for making it happen, because yeah. I am so excited that so many people are going to get to read Maleva's story. I really am. Well, I feel like anyone who listens to this will feel your passion for this story and it is absolutely contagious. So oh, I... Oh, you guys are the best. I can't say thank you enough for being here and chatting with thank us again you. and writing this incredible story. Thank so, you so much. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.